Oh yeah. You know what time it is? It's time to pick a date. Yeah, that's what we like. And when we pick a date, we want to pick a real good one for you. Hello, this is a new podcast. It's called Pick a Date. Uh, my name is Stu, and joining me on this new podcast adventure are my old friends Matt. Hi. Ben. Hi there. And Chubbs. Hello. Oh, Chubbs. That was very deep. Well, hi, Chubbs. Hi. So, what's the premise of the show? You may be asking, or not. I'm not sure. The premise is, we pick a date, and we all go off and find an interesting story that relates to that date, i.e. pick a date. So, yes, hopefully we will get to some really interesting nuggets, and the day that we've chosen this week is May the 8th. So... Fellas, let me just start this off by giving you a few facts about May the 8th before we get into the meatier stories we have later. So, some famous births on the, on May the 8th through history. 1884, Harry Truman, of, of dropping an atom bomb on several cities fame. You know that guy. Yeah. Many, a few hundred thousand people know who that guy is. Um... <laughs> Personally. Well, they don't. <laughs> or, or they don't, yes. He came and visited all of them. <laughs> it's just the biggest crop dust the world's ever seen. <laughs> mm. uh, Roberto Rossellini in 1906, the director. And 1926 saw two quite famous people born. David Attenborough. Mm. who's uh, still going strong, who, he's turning 92 this wow. year. Happy birthday, 92. Happy birthday, sir, Dad. Happy birthday, Dad. And Don Rickles, who's not turning 92 because he's dead. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. And He died quite recently, though. There's, some, That's there's something about that date. He was on telly the other night. I saw something about Don Rickles. They were doing one of those... SBS did their classy 80s review show as opposed to the top 20 Channel 9 version. Mm. Yeah. And Don Rickles was on that. He was on... You, I didn't realise he was like a regular Johnny Carson... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, he used to like do the walk-ons. Yeah, the men on the couch. He, he was harsh. He had yes. quite yeah. harsh, like, insults to people. But because he had kind of a silly kind of shtick and Paul gurned a lot and stuff. It kind of gurning. He seemed, it, seemed quite in, like uh, innocent, but it was just some sick put downs. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that right here. On your records. Wasn't he a um wasn't he a buddy of Sinatra? Didn't Sinatra yeah, yep. Sinatra loved him because of that particular type of humour? Uh, well, I, I I don't know if we can ask him, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say sure. Yeah, um, and yet, have you ever noticed when you're looking at the kind of births and deaths on a certain day, there, there's a few that you go, "Yep, they're famous, they're famous," they're, they're. and then there's one where you just go, "What are they doing on that list?" <laughs> the, the other one that popped up for me was in 1970, Michael Bevan. 
Michael Bevan, what? right? We know exactly why he's on that list. Well, yeah, he had a four off the last ball. Yeah. Who's Michael Bevan? Who's <laughs> Michael Bevan? Or to us. From the Paddington To us, yes. He's, uh, yeah, yeah, to us, yeah, true. He's, uh, <laughs> he's shoving Rickles and Attenborough out of the way. Yeah, that's right. Who cares? Truman, ex- ex-president, get out. Yeah. Bevan to yeah. the top of the list. We know that. Michael Bevan never killed 200,000 people in a flash. Well... You're making assumptions. <laughs> um, <laughs> Have you heard of Michael Bevan in the last five years? Do we know yeah, where no, he is? Right. Oh, are you suggesting he's in jail? Is I'm, that I'm, I'm, sure. I'm suggesting he is serving time for war crimes. <laughs> That's what I'm suggesting. He's I'm pretty sure a lot, of men, a lot of men jizzed their pants when he scored the four at that last ball. That probably killed yeah. millions of potential children. Out we there. might get that fact-checked uh, yeah. at some Fair point enough. during this show. Also, uh, Gary Glitter, born on this day for fans of Kitty Fiddlers. Uh, <laughs> born on this day, Gary Glitter. Right. Uh, famous deaths on the 8th oh, of May. I've got a good one of this. Good. Oh. All right. Yeah. Uh, I bet you have. It's probably the same one I'm saving for last. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'll shut up there. It obviously is there. I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, uh, 1880, Gustave Flaubert, a very, oh. very... Uh, how was his parrot? Finicky, finicky French author. Um, <laughs> side, side note, love the hookers, apparently. Oh, bloody love Is that in his death notice? Was that on Ori Tombstone? No, I hope so. I really hope so. Um, <laughs> Flaubert. It's in his obituary. They're just in the side there. Love the hooker. <laughs> Loved it. Flaubert, famous novelist, man of letters... Yeah. Love to get on it chronically. <laughs> <laughs> Love um, to pay. Yes. Uh, 1992, Joyce Ricketts, who's American baseball player, and I have no further info, I just like the name Joyce, <laughs> Joyce Ricketts. Joyce Ricketts, yeah, nice. 1994, is this yours? I'm assuming so. <laughs> George Papard. George Papard. <laughs> I was, I was nearly going to do the entire show about George Papad. It, it was only after much research and interviews with Mr. T, realising that how dull a man he actually was. Oh, right. Just a bit oh, of a damn. boring bastard that I decided not to pursue that link. But, um, yeah, George Papad died in this day. How old was um, he when he you, died? Oh, uh, don't. 74? Throw those at us. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I guess he was fairly old in the... In the seventies, I think he got. I think he got pretty old, considering how many cigars he jumped on. Yeah, no, that's he, probably he true. Used to, he used to smoke four packs a day. What of cigars? Yeah, no, of, of cigars. <laughs> oh, right. like, how, okay. how do you find the time to smoke a hundred cigarettes in a day? Yeah, I don't know. Like every day, it's just insane. You have to set your alarm in the morning just to get up and be able to smoke that many. I reckon. So, yeah, seventy-six. All right, seventy-six. All so, right. And last, uh, Lionel Rose was in... Uh, Sorry, 66. Bad math. <laughs> Lionel Rose in 2011, famous right. Aussie boxer. And mm. this is the one I, I actually initially thought that you had yeah, on this day. 1999, Dana Plato died on oh, this day. Oh, really? Really. I'm surprised. Oh, man, I definitely would have done that one then. As, uh, as massive fans of different strokes that's obviously hits us particularly hard here mm. at pick a date um 
Should we have a minute, Tom? So was yeah. it. <laughs> Works brilliantly. She, she. Brilliantly on podcast. <laughs> just edit over it. That'll yeah. Let's just... <laughs> did she OD or did she have a brain hemorrhage and die of different strokes? Oh. Yes. <laughs> I told you that minute okay. silence would have helped. Yeah. <laughs> uh, five minutes in, that's your make or break moment, listeners, that joke. You're either in or you're that's out from this point. Okay, let's uh, go to a few events that have happened on May 8th. Uh, I think the most famous one is probably 1945, Victory in Europe Day. May 8th is celebrated as the day that World War II ended in Europe after Germany signed their unconditional surrender. In 1809, Lachlan Macquarie appointed to replace William Bly as governor of New South Wales. Lachlan Macquarie, very significant figure in Australian history. As was Bly. As was Bly, yeah. 1912, Paramount Pictures is founded. So that's... That's That's 106 years ago. Um, it's, 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 that's how, how long movies have been around, essentially, or, or going to the movies. What am I talking about? It's been longer than that, but I'll just... Uh, <laughs> I'll cut that line out. It's impressive, though. It's impressive I'll the studio... Myself, I'll play myself out. I said it. <laughs> the studio's been around for that long, though. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. And in 1980, the World Health Organization confirmed the elimination of smallpox from the planet for good. Mm. Yes, well that deserves a round of unless, applause. Unless they get a mound of storage, mm. get it out of storage and try and use it against the, well, against the populace again. Well, I was going to say, um, the anti-vaxxers are doing their best to reverse that. But <laughs> see how we go. If, if they can get it back out there. It's an ongoing challenge. One more thing before we get into our stories, fellas. May the 8th is seen as the day that one of the oldest British customs uh, is celebrated, and it's called the Furry Dance. Ooh. Hmm. Wow. Now, the Furry Dance is a celebration of the passing of winter and the arrival of spring. It's bloody late in the calendar for them to be having that, I would have thought. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway... Has that taken on a new meaning over the last couple of years? Well, I thought, I thought it might pique your attention. It's actually... Um, <laughs> Club Air was a big fan of the fairy day. <laughs> uh, so fur, fur, F-E-R, is a Cornish word for fair. Is it possible that every day on his birthday, David Attenborough was getting down to a bit of a furry dance? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, of course, I know you're all very up on your uh, saint days. So May the 8th, amongst other saints, it's the day for St. Desideratus, who you will, of course, remember worked as a secretary for King Clotaire. You know all that. You, are, you guys know that, right? Clotaire? Uh, yeah, of yeah. Course. And I'm, was, I'm good on my Clotaire. And was dedicated yeah. to... My favourite was Welcome Back, Clotaire. Yeah. <laughs> that was his. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I like the Clotaire Empire. Yes. And uh, he was dedicated to eliminating heresy from all of Clotaire's realm. So I don't need to tell you guys that. You, you guys yeah, we already know that. It's old news. So now let's get into the meat of this podcast. Each of us have looked up a little story to do with the 8th of May, and we're going to tell it to the others now who are hearing it for the first time. I'm going to select Ben to go first. Ben, what Thanks, have Stu. you got for us this evening? 
Well, whilst uh, trolling the internet uh, for May 8 paraphernalia, shall we say, I came across this little story in relation to Muhammad Ali. In 1967, Muhammad Ali was indicted for refusing to fight in Vietnam. Yes. So the, the thing that piqued my interest was obviously this had to do with the, um, the interview that he gave to the media when you know he said they want me to go 10,000 miles from home and drop bombs and bullets on brown people in Vietnam while so-called Negro people in Louisville are treated like dogs and denied simple human rights. Yeah. And so... What was his point? What was his point? <laughs> Is there a problem, boy? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, I wanted to make a Bert Newton reference there. But, uh, oh, yeah. so did I. I oh, <laughs> In saying that you wanted to make it, you just made it. Yes, thank you. Uh, now, I mean, the, the thing that got me, like, obviously, I, I'd known about this, but. The fact that he went to jail and lost three and a half years of his, basically the best three and a half years of what would have been his fighting life at that stage. Yeah. He was stripped of all his titles. And the three and a half years that he spent in jail, he then got let out on a technicality when they figured out that, that they were just wrong. Basically, the, the reason that they put him in jail for three and a half years was actually wrong. That... The Justice Department was simply wrong as a matter of law in advising that the petitioner's beliefs were not religiously based and not sincerely held. So he spent three and a half years in jail on the fact that they just didn't believe his religious beliefs could keep him out from, from basically going to Vietnam. Are you saying that he went to jail because they didn't believe that his religious beliefs were a good enough reason to stop him from going. Is that what you're saying? Or, are, or are you sincere, saying that he didn't, I don't think they, he, they didn't believe that he actually believed what he was saying, yeah, right. that he, he just didn't want to go on fight, so yeah. he was just making up his beliefs? Okay. Exactly, yeah, just, just for the simple fact that he didn't want to get on a plane to go and fight someone. Right. But it's just, I mean, obviously that was the hypocrisy of the time, to be like 1967, they could do that, but by the 70s the war was like unpopular... People mm-hmm. are campaigning to get him out, and they're like, oh, well, yep, we'll get him out. Yep, sorry. Three so years. That, another little tidbit. Uh, it was an all-white jury, right. uh, of course, uh, and all-white jury in Houston passed judgment, and the typical sentence for refusing to serve was 18 months, and Ali got given five years. Please. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're... Uh, yeah. Well, because he, he, um, I mean, it comes, it's pretty deep-rooted... With him, because he, he went to the 1960 Olympics, won a gold medal, mm-hmm. and that was what he realised when he came back to Louisville. He was still, even wearing his gold medal, still, no, sorry, you get served down there, no, you come in that yep. entrance there. Not allowed to go, yeah, not allowed, not allowed to take public transport. Well, yeah, had to sit in a certain spot in yeah. public transport. So, yeah. okay, I can represent your country and win a gold and be yep. lauded. I can go overseas and kill people you ask me to, and that's a good idea. I can't sit in the same spot. I think by this stage he he was either on the road to conversion to Islam or was, and like you know there was there was a thing about like you know the, the brotherhood as he imagined it, and as it was preached by right. the um, um, Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. yeah, Elijah Muhammad. Yeah. So basically saying yeah. that you know all brown people are our brothers and sisters, and we must unite them, and you know it was it was a, it was a pretty big 
movement that he was a part of. That was his. But the reason, like his, I think his legal argument was the religious reason, like why you're refusing to go. Well, I'm saying it's against my religion to fight people who I consider to be my brothers and sisters. And all right, yeah, cool. So Muhammad Ali on this day, May eighth. 1967. 1967. So this was the day he was actually indicted. That was the day he was indicted. There's a statistic here. The day of his conviction, the US Congress voted 337 to 29 to extend the draft for four more years. So it became such a big thing that they went back to Congress and decided to extend it again. Yeah. You know, like they were just... uh, you know, they're just a bunch of idiots. Got to show yeah. the strengths. Got to show the strengths. People are saying it's not a good thing. Yeah. It is a good thing. Yeah. Look, it was extended. <laughs> we voted. We'll make it more. Thing. Yeah, we love it. Fifty years <laughs> later, years. fifty-one years later, it's all changed. It's comes, all better. Come so far. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it's all better. It's all well, racism. It's well done, <laughs> <everyone. laughs> <laughs> look, look at you now. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I might chime in quickly with my story. So, let me do, let me just ask you to uh, imagine yourself in a situation here. You are a soldier. Yes. Okay. You you've yep. joined the army. Yep. And uh, you're just trying to find out a little bit about who's leading this army. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, you get told that the leader of the army is a woman. Okay, so, all right, that's fine. No problems there. Process that. Uh, next, you get told that that's a, a 19-year-old woman leading your army. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, so process that. That's that's fan. It's fan. Yeah, all right. It's fan. We'll, we'll, it's okay. It's fan. <laughs> moving, yeah, moving along. We're all, very, we're all very modern, progressive gentlemen. We're like, yes, oh, well that's done. That's right. Well done, young people. Young people today. They can do anything. Now, you find out that that 19-year-old woman uh, trips balls often and hears hears voices in her head telling her to do various things. Cool. Is it working for us? Because if it's working for us, I'm I'm behind it. Is is one of those things sharing those drugs with everyone else? (laughs) (laughs) Would anybody like to hazard a guess at who I'm talking about here? Mm. Is it Joan of Arc? It's Joan of Arc, yes. Oh, Who apparently on this day um, lifted the siege of Orleans. Right. Well. So, yes, what we have here is an army led by a 19-year-old girl, and the year is 1429. So Mm. (laughs) so, uh, we have in 1429 a 19-year-old girl who hallucinates. uh, leading an army, and winning. Essentially, towards the end of April, Joan set out to relieve the French forces at Orleans, um, which the English had been smashing for at least six months. And dressed as a male soldier, she quickly gathered all the men under her command. When she got to Orleans, she was frustrated by the conservative tactics of the uh, people fighting there, the French people fighting there. So basically, she went batshit crazy and everyone went oh well, she can do that we can do that too <laughs> let's all go a bit batshit crazy yeah, get in there yeah follow bring that yeah. deep point back in <laughs> Jesus <laughs> far out sorry <laughs> 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 
I I never knew like how she like raised up the ranks like that, yeah. and, and that was the story I'd always miss. Was um, yes, I understood she led all. So the when you say essentially, essentially she spirited her way into the king's company because she was it was divine spirit, right? That's what all her hallucinations, all her speaking in tongues, all of her tripping balls, yeah. was all communicating with God. He was saying, do this, do that, and it was working. Yeah, and, and essentially she had some lucky breaks whereby people in the court would say, predict the outcome of this battle for us, like ask the voices what's going to happen in this battle, and when they came true, she was obviously lauded. So, yeah. Um, but also, I, if you're the just, English... Sorry. Sorry, if you're the English in 1429, yep, and you hear, oh, they've got this woman over there, nineteen-year-old girl who speaks directly to God and is just causing mayhem and just destroying and winning battles, then you're going to be like, yeah, maybe just send a couple of people. We just, I don't, yeah, yeah, like that is the craziest. That that's the craziest game of Chinese whispers ever. <laughs> yeah, it is. But that's the end. The end result is just so. Well, what, yeah. What I kind of wonder... John Dehock speaks with God. Purple monkey coming full circle to that. What I kind of wonder, though, is whether the English knew that the army was being led by a 19-year-old female because she would dress in male clothes. And I've got a strong kind of image of Bob from Blackadder. Right. Kind of a, a scenario like that where you've got a, a very sort of live, pretty young boy there speaking yes. in a high voice. Yes, but leading leading the charge. But this, in this case, covered in entrails and blood. And mm. Oh, yeah, and kind of yeah. gibbering in tongues. But, you know, I, I can't, you, you, get, you get where I'm going with that. Um, we get you. So can I just clarify, when you say that she went batshit crazy <laughs> at the front... In the front lines, so you said, are you saying that she was, she was screaming and yelling, or she was like going on a slaughter mission, or do you, she, do you yeah, have any idea she, to clarify? She that? would lead, she would lead attacks. So, so the French were being very conservative and defensive. She would yeah. gather people to launch attacks. She would goad the enemy um, out of try and goad them out of their positions. She would go up to the leaders who the French leaders that were there and basically call them out for being dogs. And being too scared to get in there, yeah. Um, and basically, yes, uh, people would start following her instead of of the, the commanders that were there already. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just think. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm light on detail there, but this isn't like this That's isn't right. this kidding. isn't Dan Carlin's hardcore history. This is just a, <laughs> this is just a, um, a a few interesting tidbits from the day. But I, I would I would certainly hazard a guess that if you were the French and, and if you found out that it was a nineteen year old girl yep. who's speaking directly to God, I would be doing the I'd be Chinese whispering that into the English it's fourteen twenty nine, everyone's superstitious is all buggery. Mm. They're gonna be like, Oh, that she communicates with God. Right. I am yeah, I don't wanna I, I might tip this one out, might just go home. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty... Uh, and think about it. Think about it. Well, that was why she eventually got executed. So. Yeah. 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 But imagine being... It's 1429. People aren't too progressive, really. <laughs> no. um, but she could be a grandmother at 19, though. <laughs> 1429. You're, you're a respected French general. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, the English are winning. You're just trying to hold on. You're being defensive. 
yeah. uh, in your tactics. And then um, this 19-year-old girl flounces up and calls you a big quiche. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Well, go, oh, all right, we'll show her. And yeah. everyone, everyone got amongst it. Yeah. You take uh, your sword out and she bites your fingers off <laughs> and just eats them and you're like, oh. All right, all right. Geez. Listen to her. Calm down, on the, calm down on the talking to God. Jesus, you're yeah, taking yeah. it too far. Everyone listen to her. All right. Good <laughs> I don't know fingers. All right. Well, that's my May 8th story. Like, um, let's go with Chubbs. All righty. Sorry, people. I'm going to be continuing the slightly depressing military theme here. I hope that Maddie's got something lovely and lighthearted to finish us off. I certainly but, do. Um, <laughs> let me talk about... <laughs> we're, we're all been listening to too much dollop, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm actually... I'm, I'm, I'm hedging around the... Um, the Second World War here in a little country called Estonia. Ooh. It's a little Estonia sitting on the Baltic, so just kind of a bit south of Finland um, and, you know, just to the west of Russia. And anyway, so poor little Estonia. And during World War Two, they got completely butt-fucked by the Soviet Union, basically came through. And as part as they were moving um, west to kind of confront the Germans, they annexed pretty much most of those Balkan states and the Eastern Bloc countries. So this is where a lot of the Soviet Union actually resulted from World War Two because of the annexations they were doing during World War Two. Mm. So it wasn't like the carve up; they'd actually invaded at this stage, and they were pretty, pretty hectic while they were there. They pretty much went through in the one year that they were in charge of Estonia. They 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 put away about eight thousand people. And about 2,000, 2,500 of them were executed in Estonia, and the rest of them were sent off to the gulags wow. in Russia. So um, not, a, not a pleasant place to be in Estonia. And this is 1940 that they came through and did that. So 1940 to 41, the Soviets were in charge of Estonia. Then the Germans came across. Okay, so the Germans came across in 41, and that was in June of 41, and they, they were welcomed with open arms initially from the Estonians because they were seen as um, relievers from this horrible force of Soviets who yeah, come in. Yeah, yeah, come in, come and in. I was, oh, right. God, I was sick of this shitty oh, treatment these oppressive, from these Russians. these oppressive regime of Soviets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what do you got for us, Germans? Yeah, and... <laughs> Yeah, Fred. So ended up with plenty of them joining the SS. Like initially, like it was a bit of a fever joining up with the Germans to repel the Russians. But this eventually petered out as the true intentions of the Nazis were fully revealed, and the fact that they weren't going to be granted their independence again, and that they were going to be part of the whole Lebensraum policy of our good old mate Adolf. Mm-hmm. So they were stuck in this bit of a tug of war. So they were under German occupation up until 44, 45. And, oh, sorry, it was 1944. And that's when the Soviets again started to come through. Um, so they had a brief moment of independence in 1945, where Estonia was established as an independent state. And then the Soviets reoccupied yeah, again. Enjoy that while okay. it lasts. Yeah, that was that was a very long time. So that's <laughs> that's just a little bit of backstory, all about what's happened to Estonia to lead us to this moment where there was two young girls, a fourteen year old and a fifteen year old girl. We've got Eile Jorgensen and Agida Paivol. Mm. Okay, so these two girls, they decided that when the Soviets reoccupied, they went through and they pretty much 
fucked up a lot of the war memorials and stuff like that, which the Estonians had set up to um, commemorate their independence and the battles they fought against both the Russians and the Germans in the previous kind of decade. And the Russians, the Soviets went through and pretty much destroyed all these and then desecrated a lot of cemeteries and then erected a, um, a new Soviet war memorial in the middle of um, in the middle of Tallinn. Okay, so this was this was a really shitty memorial, and it was actually because it was like a, a memorial where they would entomb unknown soldiers. But these soldiers that actually entombed in there were um, three thieves who had um, were the Red Army soldiers were known for robbing lots of apartments in Tallinn, and three of them accidentally broke into a Red Army officer's apartment. Oh. And that was the only reason they got caught, was because he was actually one of their commanding officers. <laughs> and so they were executed and then put in this memorial, interred in this memorial, and then were basically greeted as some kind of, you know, great Soviets who had represented and died for the motherland when actually they were just these three dudes who'd ripped off the wrong CO. Oh. Um, so they decided, these two young girls, Ailey and Agita, decided that they were, weren't going to put up with this shit anymore. And they decided that on this day, in, say, so May 8, uh, 1946, they were going to blow the fuck out of this blue wooden pyramid with a Soviet star on top. Wow. So they were part of, like, the local resistance in Tallinn. Ailey, in years later, talking about the um, actual memorial that the Soviets had left behind, saying... I won't be doing accents. It was quite appropriate that the graves of marauders became a revered symbol of the Soviet occupation. They pray and drink here, actually the site where the robbers were buried. And then on the actual memorial itself... How long should we watch this Red Star, a memorial for Russian looters, at the time when our statues are being destroyed? We just couldn't get our heads around it. We decided that if such robbers um, are raging in Estonia, they should see how one of their memorials get blown up. We could have just doused the wooden thing with gasoline and set fire to it, but no, we wanted it to go with a bat. <laughs> so this is a 14- and 15-year-old schoolgirl, yeah. and they're, in this, they're, they're basically known nothing but war for most of their lives, and so you consider the fact they've kind of... They would have seen the tail end of, well, not the tail end of World War One, but the effect of the tail end of World War One, because the Eastern Front was pretty full on then, and then all the way through World War Two. So they, they just the when you think like I was just thinking about the fact that you know you think about what we were doing when we were thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. That was and, my thought as well. As at, at fourteen, I don't know where I would have found dynamite. <laughs> and that, well, this is, but not even that. But where would you get the wherewithal to stand up yeah. and, like, they these weren't just they they were kids, and yeah, they were in, um, but they were basically set up their own little mini militia, which happened really, really organically. Like they just all the all the kids in their class were opposed to the Soviets, and they started off with six members, and then they started and they got some other boys to join in, and they started distributing the flyers. And then eventually one of the dudes was like, oh, I've got some dynamite here. And so they got... And they, they <laughs> just casually. Dynamite and a fuse. Just casually, you know. Yeah. Exactly. But this it is sounds like... like you know, they, it sounds like they're, as... they're dealing with dynamite. It just sounds like a story from when we were 14 down sitting on the oval with someone saying, I've got a cask of goon here. <laughs> and like, oh, all right, I'll go off with these people. <laughs> So and this is and this is in obviously a highly charged police state as well. A, a situation where there's people being arrested every day, we're seeing um, killings, searches, and arrests, and 
there was it wasn't a safe thing to be doing this, and they decided, fuck it, we're going to do it anyway. So they went out and they got this dynamite, and coincidentally, there was another girl from their school who um, was walking past, and she was flirting with the guard of this memorial, and then they managed to blow the fucking thing up, and they all they had was um, a stick of dynamite, three sticks of dynamite, and a fuse that had to be long enough to let them walk away at a normal pace. The guy who gave it to them was Velo Vault. And they wanted to get it done before May 9th. May 9th is the the big Russian celebration for victory in Europe. And they call it just Victory Day. Right. And it's absolutely insanely massive. Like, it's imagine Anzac Day on steroids times a million with, you know, fucking 100, 160, big day. 160 million drunken Russians. Like, it is a huge, huge day in the Russian calendar. Like, just, it's really hard to express it and and you know and to be fair you can kind of understand where they're coming from yeah it's like you know the huge casualties they suffered in world war ii and this was the first year that it was going off and so the girls were really really adamant that it had to happen before this victory day celebration went off and so they did it on may 8th and they blew the fuck out of it and the local authorities got to work and they actually rebuilt the memorial overnight, so it was ready for the victory day. Oh, wow! Like they they blew it up in the afternoon, and they and it was it wasn't reported in the newspapers or anything at the time. It was like all really hush hush. No one wanted to acknowledge that there was any kind of any kind of resistance going on. And then there was this once again Chinese whispers. And in the next in the subsequent days, there was about three other memorials which were blown up all around oh. Estonia, thanks to these two girls. And initially they weren't even caught. They just turned up to school the next day. They were still handing out these anti-Soviet flyers, um, which I, I, this is what blows my mind. Like, you know, they've just gone and done this incredible act and they're still going about their normal business and they're still, they're very openly being anti-Soviet, which as I say, for this police state, they think they would have just been shitting themselves. Like, it's just, like, there's literally people being dragged off the street and just being shot in the head. Like, that's just the norm for these people that they're living in. And it was only because of the interrogation of another fighter that they actually found out that these girls um, were the ones behind it. And that's when they were picked up. So on um, Ailey's 15th birthday, she was picked up and she was taken to the uh, secret police headquarters. That was the MVD back then. And she was convicted as an underage terrorist and Mm. she was sentenced to the Gulag. So she was in kind of in the Urals in the Gulag and she was out there for, um, she didn't, well, she was in the Gulags, I think, for about the next 30 years. She was allowed to return to Estonia in 1970. She ended up marrying, um, another, um, Estonian Finn. Apparently there was a lot of Estonians fled to Finland in order to, because Finland had a much stronger resistance against the Russians, so there was kind yeah. of quite a strong um, bond between them. Partly, partly the so, reason pro- I imagine why Russia took a lot of aggression out on Estonia because they couldn't get anywhere with the Finns. <laughs> that's oh, that's right. All the Finns were just the Finns were just phenomenal. Like, you know, there was nothing. They were just so well organised as a fighting force. Yeah. Like, and the Estonians are that much smaller. Like they're, yes. they're literally a fucking speck in space. Like the whole thing. Mm. But anyway, so they um, they were allowed to return eventually to Estonia in the seventies. Um, I didn't realise that there was actually Estonia had a government in exile going on in Sweden for all of these years as well. Like from nineteen forty five, when they had that very very brief time of independence, they had uh, their government was actually existing. They had ambassadors, separate Estonian ambassadors, separate from the um, Soviet ambassadors. I can't imagine them having um, a lot to do though. 
Nice. Well, that was it. Like, you know, what the fuck are you going to do? But they, but they were, at the time, because it was considered to be an illegal annexation. Like, you know, it was considered, like, you know, Estonia in particular and all the other Balkan states as well, like Latvia, uh, Latvia and Lithuania, they were all considered to be illegal annexation. So there was a lot of petitioning going well, on in the UN a, and stuff like that. A lot of that was a deal originally done with Nazi Germany about who was going to get what. If they... In, oh, a, in, in a non-aggression this, but, pact that they, uh, Russia and Germany signed with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Molotov-Ribbentrop um, pact yeah. was what they signed off to say. Yeah, we won't, we won't fuck with each other, and then you know, <laughs> never trust a Nazi. <laughs> and wise, very wise advice. Never trust a Nazi. Right? I might put that at the start, just to, just as a good piece of advice for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but eventually, and this is where it kind of like. Um, comes around that eventually was the memorial itself became a bit of a symbol for the soviets and it was replaced with a more permanent uh it was called the bronze soldier which is probably one of the most hated and most controversial memorials outside of the southern usa mm. um it was the bronze soldier of i don't want to pronounce this wrong it was Tornus may which i believe is like a suburb of Tallinn. And um, but this bronze soldier was eventually moved after the in 2007, and so it was a move from its original location to an, another cemetery, which was um, like a Soviet cemetery, to which had like a ridiculous outrage from the Kremlin. They went up in arms and they were talking about you know respecting history and the proud Russian population. And there were ridiculous riots on the street because they moved this statue as well, like literally tens of thousands of people, like the Russian local population rising up to say, how dare you do this? And when the two girls at this stage in their... Well, they were in their 80s by that stage. And they were suddenly, you know, did you ever think about blowing up the bronze soldier? And said, yeah, we actually inquired about it, but it would have taken that much dynamite that would have shattered the windows from everywhere around. So they'd actually consulted an explosive expert when they returned in order to blow up this other, the bronze soldier, which replaced it. So I just thought these two pretty kick-ass little chicks just went out there and basically took on the entire Soviet Empire, which at that time was a pretty full-on thing. And so making sure, doing it on May the 8th, just to really piss on their victory party as much. Yeah, exactly. Go back to school the next day. Just That's right. And back to school the next and day. And he had some pamphlets. And they didn't even need to hear weird voices in their head to do it either. No. That's amazing. No. That's it. They didn't need the wrong on God. They just did it yeah. because, pff, fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, Maddie, what have you got for us in our final story for this podcast? Well, I'm going to talk about suicide, so let's keep that. Yay! Maybe we should maybe we should have divvied up a few of us to do some funnier stories. We could have done Dana Plato's death. (laughs) Sorry. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We might get some humour out of this. You never know. Um, I'm talking about England's Clifton Suspension Bridge. Okay, a beautiful bridge stands 101 metres above the River Avon. I actually thought that was like a very posh English name for a second there. All right. It sounds like a, it sounds like a Monty Python name. England. Hello, my name's Clifton Suspension Bridge. <laughs> it's a card game I've invented. It spans 400 metres and it's considered an engineering marvel. It's been open since 1864. The chances for, of survival anyone taking the plunge are slim. In, since records were kept of people jumping off, there were 206 suicides from the bridge between 1974 and 2007 until they put up a barrier for, you know, nanny state, trying to uh, make it more difficult for uh, people to commit suicide. PC brigade out again, yeah. I see. 
But I wanted to tell you about one spectacular case, which happened on the 8th of May, 1885, when 22-year-old Sarah Ann Henley decided to end it all by throwing herself off the bridge. Do we know what her problem was? Yes, I believe, was the result of a lover's quarrel. Uh, a young man, mm. a porter on the Great Western Railway, decided to break off their engagement and wrote a letter to the young woman rather than telling her face-to-face. Oh, oh Send nice. it by text. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and yeah. So, Sorry, Bay, not going to happen. So was the problem that no one was around to tell her there were a plenty of other fish in the sea? I think she. I think that know, solves all, all kind of heartbreak problems, doesn't it? A young person in a state of despair, so rushed quickly to end a life. So she gets the text and she runs straight away. <laughs> right, I'm over this. She maybe uh, had had a few to drink. Yeah. Um, so no barriers. Sarah, so she, it's all clear. That's right. <laughs> but Sarah was wearing a wide crinoline skirt, popular at the time. And according to reports, there had been a big breeze blowing on the Friday and the young woman's clothes were inflated and her descent, and I'll read you the exact report, her descent was thereby considerably checked and the wind also prevented her falling straight into the water and she was carried off into the soft mud on the side of the river. She poppins it. She married poppins it. She poppins it. Perfect. (laughs) Wow. She just hovered, slowly fell down. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. She poppins it for sure. Parachute dress. Fantastic. Yeah, so Thomas Stevens, resident inspector of the bridge, who obviously wasn't very good at his job, was watching visitors visitors walking across in the breeze, and he saw Sarah climb over the railings onto the parapet, but before anyone could reach her, she threw herself off. She was blown by the wind then turned a complete somersault, that she, so she ended up falling feet first to the water below. The wind blew under her wide skirt, and her clothes acted like oh. a parachute, poppinsing her slowly down <laughs> to the mud. I, I, I'm trying to imagine how much, like how thick that material would have been, yes. and how bilious... Yeah, the layers more than anything else. This is multiple layers, so it does kind of silk it out. Yeah, so So it's it's not just it's it's not and it's not going to collapse. I guess it's not going to invert like a cartoon. Yeah, like a windy umbrella. (laughs) Like a windy umbrella. Thank you very much. (laughs) Did you mean billowing rather than bilious too? Yeah, well, yeah. I I said it. I went. (laughs) Hopefully, someone doesn't check. So, again, because she landed, the tide had been receding, so the mud was newly, you know, it was thick and soft. So two men who had seen her fall rushed to her aid and dragged her out. So the local paper concluded, the young woman marvellously escaped instant death and is, strange to say, still alive in the infirmary and may possibly recover. We believe that out of the 16 or 17 persons who have jumped off the bridge, only one exhibited any signs of life. Death in every case has been apparently instantaneous. Wow. So that's the that's the start of the story. The second part of the story is that so not only when she recovered in hospital became like this media sensation. Obviously, the Poppins effect is a pretty arresting image at the time. So the fallen woman received over 150 marriage proposals from around the country. 
Geez, they're good, aren't they? Ba- yeah. Just based just, on so the fact that she can fly, just maybe? Make sure, just make sure you're going to commit yourself. Don't break up with her. You, you <laughs> no, <laughs> that's wrong. Well, yeah. no, that, maybe that was it. Maybe they were all play- they all had their kind of breakup letters already written just so they could <laughs> see see it happen in person. Well, my, what my concern was, if she chose one of their proposals, is she thinking 149 of them are going to just go up to the bridge and yeah. jump off? Yeah. But Try and Dick Van Dyke it. That doesn't work as well. <laughs> Just jump off, strap yeah. to a big drum yeah. and a trumpet. Straight down um, the chimney. Uh, with some chalk. <laughs> yeah, with some chalk. <laughs> Just draw a picture of a river on yeah. a bit of chalk <laughs> on the footpath and jump into it. That's it. Draws a hole in the wall and just oh, does with that one. Yes. So, of course, being the... Being the 1880s in Victorian England, her father was often a fortune to turn her into a popular entertainment yeah. to join a freak show. Oh, yep. Fucking hell. For joining a freak yeah. show for jumping yeah. off a fucking bridge. <laughs> I know, and having a billowy dress. Wouldn't they People have to bring, were so the freak, bored, weren't they? bring the freak show to the bridge so that she could jump <laughs> so off that particular it bridge? No, yeah, I, I, like I, I, evil Knievel, think... just every twice a day. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, a residence three times on Sunday. I, I think the marvel is that she's alive. So you just walk in and just see a woman sitting there. <laughs> you just go, oh my Look, god, she's alive! Wow, she she didn't that? die. That's I mean, definitely an alive woman sitting there. It's no worse than looking through a peephole and seeing, oh, look, there's a woman, just a head on a table. She's not sitting under the table with her head poking through <laughs> a hole. She's just yeah, just a head. Okay, so apparently the guy who she was due to marry tried to reconcile with her, but the doctor who was looking after her was like, no, you're not doing that. And then apparently she remarried at 40 and then went and found the dude that broke up with her and was like, hey, look at me. I'm uh, Not only am I famous and survived, I've got a better man than you. Well, what did, was he gay? <laughs> that would be a good reason to break up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, probably, but... Now, we, we've had our fun time. Now, uh, we're going to uh, take it to it down a dark route because I... Oh, darker than attempted suicide. No, it's, it's not... It, well, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, but, so, now we're going to hear about how most jumpers are men, uh, but two of the jumpers were children. However, they didn't jump. They are thrown. Oh. Their name, their names are Elsie and Ruby Brown, aged three and twelve. Their father Charles Brown is bankrupt; his store is failing. He has five so, kids. Charlie Brown. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie Brown, Brown threw his kids off the roof. Yeah, it's no Mary Poppins. He has five kids, but he, but he good grief only oh. <laughs> <laughs> he only throws two off. Maybe that's where Charles M. Schultz got it from. Do you reckon? Yeah, just how miserable can you be? So we, we, it is assumed that he, he has five kids, he throws the two girls off, and he's got three boys. However, both girls also survived. Wow. <gasps> so only four people have ever survived um, jumping off the bridge. Two of them are children. I, can't, I haven't found any information no. about the fourth one in any detail, just a guy who tried to jump off and it didn't work. But yeah. the children survived. At the father's trial, Ruby recalls being soaked wet by the rain and crying being forced to walk up and back across the bridge, and then her dad lifted lifted her up and pushed her over the side. So so how did they, they survive, though? They just survived the fall. The girls are saved by a boat captain and two police officers. So, again, someone's seen this happen. They just survived the fall into the water. 
Just to I wonder f- if the lack of weight made it. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. I mean, stories the same density and falling out of windows and hitting the, the motto. The motto had a half poppinsing because of the their weight. You mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, a bit of a feather effect. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So the the girls are saved by the two police officers. The captain is James Hazel. There's photos taken of the sisters with the policeman, um, and again, again because it's the uh, 1800s Victorian England that postcards are sold afterwards of the not only of the police and the captain and the kids together, but also family photos of the father and the five children are sold as curios. As, look at this guy. He tried to kill two of his daughters and didn't work. So he got sentenced to jail, obviously. But here, here is the final part. We're at the end of the story. Okay. So Sarah... Anne Henley, the first woman that I spoke about, who poppins it. Yeah. She died in 1948. Okay. When she died, she was wearing a locket, and inside the locket was a picture of Elsie and Ruby. Oh. Isn't that weird? Like, obviously, so she has... Survived this so four. Soul sisters. These, yeah, like these two girls have survived this four, and she's kept a locket with their picture in it for the rest of her life, yeah. and never told anyone oh. that two was in it. Oh right, so they found it on her. No one knew she had it. No one knew she had it. No, right. they knew, obviously she wore it every day, and no, but no one actually knew. They just assumed maybe it was the husband or a children or whatever. Yeah. But they opened or, it up and it was or, the picture of those whoever two. made that dress. Whoever made the dress, yeah. It was actually Mary Poppins because the book had come out by then based on her. She'd been trying to sue. So um, that's what happened. That's what happened uh, May 8th, 1885. Yeah. I think there's a rumour going around too that the man who fell and survived was actually Oscar Pistorius. And he landed on his blades and kind of sprung back up into the air. Oh, like a, I just thought maybe he started running like a lizard. You know those lizards that run across the water? Oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Um, I imagine what... I wonder what that would have sounded like, actually, just uh, Oscar Pistorius... <laughs> Skimming across the water like a lizard. Try uh, leaping off a bridge and surviving somehow. <laughs> what would that sound like? Well, I've got no idea. Well, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't know. No, no, I wouldn't know. Does anyone here yeah. know? There's, well, look. No, if I, only Wigo was here from What a Pair of Trousers. Uh, that's right. <laughs> and someone would... Uh, We've some... only got Sensible Ben. <laughs> sensible Ben. That's what I'm going to call him. Yeah, that's what you're called from now on. <laughs> sensible Ben. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, can I just can I just add something? Please. Um, when we were discussing the time frames, et cetera, et cetera... I had discovered that actually on May 8th, 1886, yeah. that Coca-Cola was invented. Oh. Uh, and that was what I was um, thinking about having as a secondary piece. But when Matthew had said it was uh, 1885, I, I found some discrepancies between 1885 and 1886. And it seemed like such a big story that uh, I thought that was something that may have popped up. Right. Uh, and been your uh, choice of um, story, but back have, back in uh, the days when cocaine was prescribed for yeah. fixing most ailments you could have, 
especially toothaches. Yeah, including children's coughs. Well, yeah. And see, that's the funny thing. Like, I, I've, I've just been flicking through the pages of the, the history of Coca-Cola, and there is zero zero uh, talk of cocaine. Yes. Uh, so it seems like it's all been... Um, History's been whitewashed. That's right. It's revisionist history on the uh, historyofcoca-cola.co.uk page. Right. Um, but, yeah, look, that was... Uh, that I thought that was an interesting little tidbit for the 8th of May also. Yes. <laughs> um... Well, I was just trying to decide. I, I, I had two facts bring up very quickly. I, I, I suddenly didn't realise which which one I wanted to go with. Um, firstly, I'm not sure if it's an urban myth, but apparently Coca-Cola used to be green. Uh-huh. And they, uh, they decided to put food colour in it as a marketing tool to make it kind of different and interesting, and so people didn't think it was just some sort of weird lime drink. Right. Um, so there's that. Also... Um, Coca-Cola banned in the Third Reich. Oh, also, I don't think they could get their hands on any. But mm. even if they wanted to, it was banned. And so um, they invented... Does anyone know? They invented Fanta. Fanta. Oh, yes. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, Fanta. Next time you have a nice, refreshing Fanta, you're, you're, yeah. you're drinking... While, while you're driving around in your golf yeah. Yeah, drinking <laughs> yeah, Fanta. Never, never trust a Fanta. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right, well, that might be us... <laughs> done okay for this one yeah thanks everybody so that's been the 8th of May through time see you all next episode bye 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 All right, well, well, now we've got to figure out when we're going to record next so that we can do some more date work. Yeah, date work. <laughs> Go do more date. The 8th of May. The 8th of May. Why did you dog out on the impersonation? Oh. Well, yeah, because I, I did not know. Because sensible Ben. I'm sensible Ben, <laughs> that's all right. Just go, oh, now I'm fucking falling through the air. Dear, what the fuck is this? Better start running. All right, I might... Well, I, I might just, I might did just... you push me, you bitch? I'm going to get you for this. <laughs> hey, why, just, why did you take my locket? <laughs> if you can do one now, I might actually tack a bit on the end of just of like some wind blowing and then the sound of us yeah, jumping right. off a bridge. <laughs> Can you do? Can you make him say, "I can't, oh, I can't even fucking do this right"? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have a girlfriend anymore. I might as well end it. <laughs>
can't even do this right. He's still alive. <laughs> Just did like Eddie the Eagle ski jump. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And he's off. <laughs> oh, he's making great speed. Very fast. Who's getting sucked off? <laughs> <laughs> uh.